Good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking more about the upside-down kingdom. We're kind of wrapping up our series. We've started at the very beginning of summer, and uh, Curtis has got the last sermon on this, I think, next week. Next week? Two weeks. Two weeks. And then uh, then we'll be wrapping up. So Chris will be back in three weeks, and and uh, we'll get get going on that. But we're we're kind of coming to the end of this of this series, and so um, some people have said that like this whole um, this whole Sermon on the Mount was like Jesus giving like the new Ten Commandments, the new Ten Commandments for the new kingdom, right? And and as we read read through this, and if you remember, like. There's not a lot that's new. He just kind of breaks it down in a different way and sheds some light. Like, hey, I know we've always thought about it this way. That's not really what I meant when I said, you know, you know, do not murder. He's like, yeah, anger is also a sin. We're not just murder. You know, he like expounds and he like, he's like, this is a different way of looking at it than, than we have been accustomed to looking at things. And, you know, I think it's always helpful to feel like you know the rules to whatever game you're playing or whatever, like, world you're in. Um, I remember my grandmother always had a rule when we were at dinner at her house is that um, nobody could eat dessert until the hostess sat down. So we'd all be around the dinner, whatever. She'd get up and start making, you know, her strawberry shortcake, whatever, you know, serving it all up and coming, you know, you bring a couple out and a couple of, you know, usually it was my aunts would be like serving it. We have this huge meal, right? It took like 15 minutes. So as a kid, you get this bowl of ice cream and you're just like, when are we going to sit down? You know, so I I remember it was a rule and we were like, um, we're laser focused on not eating because uh, grandma would be super offended, you know, mom would get super upset, you know, like this is super disrespectful. Um, however, you know, you introduce your significant other to the family, you forget to tell them these things, you know, so we go over to my family's house, and my wife is there, and, uh, actually, she's probably, we were probably dating at the time, and, you know, she sits down, she gets a bowl of ice cream with some pie, and, um, everybody's in the, you know, they're still doing the kitchen, she gets served first, because she's, like, you know, new, and so she's just starts enjoying her ice cream. Well, meanwhile, everybody at the table is giving her the look like, this is so rude. Why would you do this? Right? And I look at her, and I'm just like, what is, I'm thinking to myself, what is your problem? What? And then I realize she doesn't know the rule. Right? So then I'm like, you're not supposed to eat. She's like, nobody told me. You know, she's like, I thought ice cream's going to melt by the time everyone gets here. I'm going to have, you know, liquid, you know, milk soup here. I wanted to eat my ice cream when it was still, he goes, it seems like logically in my family, like, I understand maybe if it's something super special, you might wait, but like, you know, if it's ice cream, it's taken a while, you should just eat it. I was like, yeah, that's logical, but that's not how my family operates, right? So, and there's a lot of these like unwritten rules in families that you don't even know that are in place, but you just know to do them. And they're not always good. Um, that one's a, a fine rule. If you know the rule and you tell everybody and everyone agrees to that rule. Um, but there are rules on all sorts of things. I mean, growing up as a missionary kid, um, I had to learn, like, some of these cultural things that, like, didn't come to me, you know, just naturally. Like, something I didn't know is, um, so in my house, growing up, I had, my parents had five kids. The rule was you eat everything on your plate. Everything on your plate, always eat it. Don't take something if you're not going to eat it, 
However, you had to have a good helping of vegetables that was required. So you're like eh, trying to get the smallest helping of peas or whatever, right? We would do like a count, like green beans. You'd have to do one for each year that you were alive. So you're like 13 green beans, you know, like it was, you know. So, but like the rule was eat everything on your plate. Well, we, uh, one time, it was around Christmas time, we got invited um, to a local Colombian uh, friend's house for a dinner. And this is a big deal. Like they're spending like a month's wage on dinner for us, which is a big deal. And, you know, the first thing we want to say is, like, let us pay for it. But that, that's rude, right? Let them pay for it. Let them do it. It's their blessing us, which was hard. So we get there, and they serve us this soup called ajiaco. It's, like, got this, it's really good. It's got, like, a corn cob usually floating in it, and it's, like, kind of a green, like, cilantro-type soup. It's really good soup. I really enjoy it. Um, so you're sitting down. We sit down, and they don't really have a table. We were, like, in... There's like, so it's five kids, seven of us total, plus their family. So we're kind of sitting around on chairs around in their small um, living room, dining room area, um, all kind of one room. And I, you know, oh, this is really good. So I naturally finish the bowl. So in that culture, didn't know, when you finish something, it means you're still hungry. And so the host or hostess is in their culture to always put food, more food in your bowl. So if you don't want more, you don't eat it all. And in my family, that would be rude. And their family, that's the way saying, like, I've had enough. And so, I mean, I must have had, like, three bowls of the soup because she kept coming and said, oh, no, you need more, you need more. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, the soup was good, but, like, I can't, you know. And uh, I I don't remember at what point in time my parents were like, just leave some food in the bowl. And they're like, and they stop serving you. They're like, okay, he's had enough. Didn't know. And so now you know if you guys are ever in Columbia, like, it's not rude to leave a little of something on your plate or you're going to get it, you know, filled back up. My grandma also was weirdly like that. This is, like, not, I wasn't thinking about this, but, like, my grandma's sneaky. If you sat next to her and you, like, have mashed potatoes and, you know, let's say you're having Thanksgiving dinner and you finish all of your mashed potatoes, and you're talking at dinner, she's like, oh, you need more mashed potatoes. And she'd put on you, come back, and be like, I still got mashed potatoes here. And like, it was difficult to, I, now that I think about that, my grandma kind of operated on that kind of on a weird way. She'd always be passing you food while you're talking. And like in my family, we're talking and we don't realize like the food never, never goes down. Anyway, so it's just, the point is, it's good to know the rules of the house. It's good to know the rules of the culture that you live in. Um, otherwise, you can get yourself into, into trouble or, uh, you know, get into situations that, you know, one other rule uh, in Colombia that you learn really quick is um, this kind of concept of ownership is loose. So, like, at our house, if it's kind of similar to here, if you think about it, if you go, if you stick a uh, piece of furniture at the, at the end of your driveway near the road, even if there's no sign on it, it means it's free. So as a kid, we had to be really careful because we'd come into the, we'd come into the house and we'd just like throw our bikes down in the yard, you know? Those bikes would go missing. People walk by, oh, it's a free bike, right? You didn't put it in, you didn't bring it into the house, you just left it in the yard. Um, so you learn really quick that like, okay. And to them, you're like, oh, they stole my bike. And to them, they're like, no, you said it was for free. You know, it's like if you put a free sign on it and then someone took it, 
you know, your furniture from your yard, and you're like, he stole it. It's like, well, that's not how it works, right? But you need to know those things, otherwise you don't have anything, especially as a kid. Um, and I had at least one bike stolen that way, yeah. Um, we had like a little, like a, uh, like a, I, was like a, I forget what it was for, a little cement post at the end of our driveway, which is great for leaning a bike up, you know, when you're like in a hurry, and that's right by the road, and it just, bike's gone, you know. So, another tip. Anyway, so we're talking about the Upside Down Kingdom, and, um, and Jesus is kind of breaking down some of the rules. Like, wh- what is the rules of the kingdom? Like, how do we expect people to act and live? And um, in this passage, he kind of boils it down to, like, one rule. And I, I love that Garrett Stanley sings that, you know, like, um, hate has no place here, love has a name here. And really, Jesus does this really interesting job of, like, boiling down to, like, love is, like, the main rule, the, maybe the only rule. And, and, I, and, I'll, uh, and I'll break that down for you here today. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, just as a review, um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts healing people, and they start bringing their sick, they're paralyzed. Um, it says they brought people with diseases and pains and seizures, you know, paralytics. Like, all these people are coming who are just poor and desperate and needy. The wealthy, the people who have got good jobs, whatever, they're not hanging out with Jesus. They're out doing their lives, right? They're, they're doing okay. But it's all the poor and the pe- marginalized people who are surrounding Jesus, listening to him preach. Um, and he starts out with the, with the very beginning we talked about. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's like shocking, like, oh, the poor are blessed? Like, that does not make sense, right? So Jesus challenges what we think of as blessed, you know, and he's looking at these poor, and he's saying, you're the ones who are blessed. Um, and then he goes, and you guys are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. He, like, gives them dignity and says, I know you guys think you're poor and broken, and you're at the edges of society, but you're the ones I want to use. You know, so you're like, oh, yeah, this is the sermon that he's, he's talking. And then he goes in and talks about the law. The, he goes through all the laws and basically says, not even the Pharisees can fulfill this. I have to do this. You messed up here, too. You, you, you know, you didn't murder, but you were mad. You know, you were angry. You treated someone poorly. And he, like, breaks it all down. And it's like, all the ways which you thought the world worked is not how it works. Um, and then he goes and says, love those who don't deserve it. Love your enemies, right? Like, that's the last thing you want to do is love your enemies. Like, really? Somebody's mean to you. Somebody's, you know, does evil to you. Like, you don't want to love them. And he's like, this is a different kind of way the kingdom works. We say we love our enemies. Um, and then he goes, hey, when you do good things, hide it, right? We're not going to be about our egos. We're not going to show everybody all the good things we're doing. We're going to be quiet about how we do good things right? That's a different way of operating. It challenges us to our core. And then he says, you know, store your treasures in heaven. So don't, don't worry about things in the here and now. Like, we want to do something that's spiritual, that's different, that's, like, um, not about the here and now, but is something further. Um, and he kind of, like, rests in this, like, trust in what is unseen, what is not seen, right? So it was where, where you know, these, these, Blessed are the poor people who are there. They're listening, and they're just having their whole worlds kind of deconstructed and reconstructed in a new way. And that's where we are at when he lands on this passage right here. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we can break it down. So Matthew 7, 1 through 12, uh, starts out here. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, 
you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the last verse here, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so there's a lot in here. There's like three sermons worth of information in here, and it's like they're not all perfectly tied together, but I, I think it, under the banner of this like concept of how do we love God and love people, like all of this fits in there. Um, so the first part Judge not lest you be judged, or no, that you be not judged. So the first part here, and I'm just going to say it plainly, stop judging others. That's for all of us. Stop judging others. We like to judge people. And, I, and you know, we don't want to, you know, what are you getting into this, you know? Or what do you mean by judging, right? Um, are we supposed to turn our brains off and be like, everybody's okay. And everything anybody else wants to do is fine, Right? That's not what we mean by not judging, right? The Bible is clear that God gave us wisdom. So as we make decisions, we judge between, okay, this is a wise decision and this is an unwise decision, right? And sometimes we still do the unwise decision. But we can at least say, maybe in retrospect, that was an unwise decision. And we see other people making decisions and we go, oh, that looks like a wise decision. I see why they made that decision. And they make other decisions. You go, that doesn't seem very wise. Right, we, we have discernment. We can judge that way. Um, behaviors. God is in the Bible said, this, when, you know, when you murder someone, this is evil. Right? The, the Bible's clear about good and evil at the core. And so when we see something, somebody does something, we can say, was that good or was that evil? Right? But we can judge a particular aspect. Not, maybe not everything. There's nuances to stuff. But we can say, okay, that... that that looked pretty evil and that good. But what we're not supposed to do is do the ultimate judging, right? So by judging, it means assigning value and worth, right? So I look at you and say, oh, you made that decision. Your value has just gone down in my eyes. You are less than now, right? Or declaring punishment. That person deserves to go to hell, right? Like that's the things that happen in our heart that we don't talk about, but we start we don't just stay at the like, oh, that wasn't very wise, or like, you know what? That was probably a sin. We say, oh, you are a, you know, you are an evil person, and you're not worthy, you know? Like, that's kind of where we go with judging. Jesus is like, we don't judge people. We can say, uh, uh, a sin, uh, uh, but like, as, a, as, a, as your value and worth, we don't know what God's, story, God's plan is for other people's stories. We cannot sit in judgment over other people. And just think about how we do this, just in little 
in normal ways, right? Like this week I went to the deli at Safeway and I asked for fried chicken. They got really good fried chicken um, at Safeway. And I got, you got a family pack because if you do the family pack, it comes with like eight pieces of chicken. You get four pieces of like those sweet Hawaiian rolls and a side. So I go, I order it. The guy just looks at me. And I'm like, yeah, I want the family pack. And he just looks at me. I, I don't know what's going on in his head, but immediately I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun, right? Like immediately I'm like, this is going to be true. So the guy next to him is like, hey, just put eight pieces of chicken in a bag. And he's like, okay, you know? And he's like, and then it comes with a side and whatever. And he's like, okay. So he puts it in the bag and he hands it to me. I was like, and now I'd like my side. And he looks at me. And he looks at the guy. He looks at me. I was like, I need a, a side. I want some coleslaw. He goes, oh, okay. He goes over, and he just found, finds, like, the biggest container and just fills it full of coleslaw. He's just full, 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 and I'm like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, and he fills it full, and then he, like, weighs it and goes to put a label. I was like, no, no, no. I don't, want, I don't want to buy a bunch of coleslaw. I just want the side that goes with this. And he just looks at me. He looks at the guy. He looks at me. Finally, there's a lady, like, working in the cheese and she's like, guys, 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 no, no, no. And she comes and like kind of sorts it all out, right? But immediately, in my mind, I'm telling myself a story about who this guy is and why I am better than him, right? And I shouldn't. I don't know his story. I don't know if this is his very first day. I don't know if he doesn't, can't hear well. I don't know. I don't know anything about his story, and, and I'm sitting there, and even if those were things weren't true, that doesn't mean that he has less value in society, less value to God, that he's not created in God's image, that God doesn't love him just as much as he loves me. But in that moment, I'm feeling a little frustrated, and I'm like judging that guy, right? Or how about driving in traffic? You ever drive by somebody or somebody drive past you and they don't drive the way you want them to drive. You're immediately like, what's wrong with that guy, right? Or one time, I did cut somebody off, just one time, right? Like, I, you know, didn't see him or whatever and then they're slamming on the brake or the horns behind me, right? And I was like, oh, sorry, you know? And then he comes around me and, you know, gives me the salute. And now I'm mad and like, what's that guy's problem? And like, I'm like, we're just like, we're now, ju he judged me that I was a lesser person of value and dignity and worth because of an action that I did that was clearly against the rules, right? So I did, but like, it wasn't just, oh, he made a mistake or he even sinned. It was like, that guy, his value and worth is lower than mine, right? We do this all the time. I mean, it's like a constant thing that we have to and it's so we're so comfortable with it, we, we forget. The one thing that I think we do the most is we like to do, people say that they love people watching. If you love people watching, you just got to make sure that you're people watching with the right heart. Because, like, we tend to judge people just simply based on whatever they're wearing in that moment. Now, I'll tell you, I have gone to stores covered in drywall, dust and dirt with my raggedy jeans on and a hat. And I look like I literally just crawled out from underneath, you know, something. And people give me, they treat me differently. But then when I wear a nice shirt, put a button down on and, you know, come up and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you get treated differently. And people are just judging me based on what I wear. 
And um, we realize we do this all the time. I don't have to get into specifics on that. Um, but if you reverse it, which he does here, he says, okay, so judge, but like, do you like to be judged? He's like, don't judge because you don't want to be judged, right? I don't want you to judge me based on my shirt that I'm wearing. Some of you guys might be like, I really like that shirt. It's got a lot of flowers. Someone else might be like, that's a little too floral, right? You should probably wear something a little more, I don't know, manly. I don't know. Like, you may have an opinion, but I don't want you to look at me and judge me. Unless it's a positive judgment, then I'm kind of okay with it. But realistically, nobody wants to be judged on what they're wearing. You know, you don't know what my day was. Like, people come over to your house unannounced or you know, and they walk in, you're like, uh, please don't judge me based on my kitchen right now. We've had a pretty crazy day. The dishes aren't done. Like, I don't know if you guys feel that way. Someone comes over, you're like, please don't judge me. My lawn's not mowed right now. It's been a really busy month or whatever. Um, we don't want to be judged, right? But yet we like to judge others. Um, even to the sense of like, you ever respond poorly in a conflict at work or somebody and you either go from zero to really angry, you start yelling or whatever, or you, you know, you shut down or whatever. You just, you do not respond correctly in a conflict. You don't want to be judged by that. You're like, don't judge my entire character and life about how I responded in this stressful situation. You don't know my story. You don't know why I don't handle that conflict better. You don't know what damage has been done to me, what conflicts I have been in. So please don't judge me even when I am at my worst, right? Nobody wants to be judged. Um, and so Jesus is like, rule in the kingdom, we don't judge people. Like, I mean, we need to start. And I, I all week I was like, there I go again, judging some girl. lady on my road stopped. So I was driving on my road just one lane each way. She was stopped in the middle of the road. Her door was open. She was standing in the other lane, like talking on her phone. And I was like, and I was like, I kind of pulled up behind her and I was like, and she didn't notice me for like what felt like five minutes. It was probably 30 seconds, right? And I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with this person? Like, you know, and then she sees me and she like goes in her car, slams the door and then drives away. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're just right? But like, I am immediately, I'm immediately there. I, I was reminded that like, I'm, I'm right there, like, quick to judge, quick to, to cast. And then I like, like, I think our eyes met and she smiled at me. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is a normal thing. Maybe she was doing something normal. I just totally judged her wrongly. But Jesus in the Bible, not only does he say don't judge others, he says, I'm not here to judge. In John 3.17, it says, God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that it might be saved. So Jesus shows up on society, and he's like, listen, I'm the perfect person. I have the right to judge everybody else. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not going to make you look, feel, feel bad about your value and worth. I, this is what, not what I'm here for. I'm here to save. I'm here to love. I'm here to do what you can't do. John 8.15, Jesus says, you, my people, judge according, and I think he was talking to some Pharisees here too, so, um, and Pharisees, you judge according to the flesh, what you see, right, the flesh, the see, what you experience, like, what you, what you can deduce with your brains, right, he says, I judge no one, hard stop, you're like, what? When Jesus showed up, he didn't come to judge, and this is characteristic of his ministry, if you think about it, 
He's like, he's at a party and there's like prostitutes and these, you know, uh, these tax collectors who are basically um, considered traitors because they're like working for Rome instead of them, right? And they're, he's at these parties and you're like, you're not supposed to be there. You know, you're supposed to look down on those people. He like stops in the middle of his ministry and he's like, hold on. I'm going to chat with these little kids here, right? And you're like, dude, like those are, in their society, kids were not valued. And he's like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm not judging. This, you know, a Samaritan woman, he's like, oh, yeah, Samaritan, she's a foreigner. I'm not supposed to talk with foreigners. I'm not supposed to dignify them, and especially not women. And he's like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to hang out with her. I'm going to let her serve me. I'm going to love on her. Like, it's constantly, every conversation, you're like, what are you doing, Jesus? It's characteristic of his ministry. He's not sitting in judgment. He's loving on people. And I believe that that's what he's like. This is how I'm living my life is how I want you to live your life. Right here, right now. You know, he tells a story of the, you know, the, the, the guy on the side of the road and, and the, the religious leaders walk by and they kind of scoff and it's the foreigner. He's like, who's my neighbor? The person who comes and takes care of somebody. He's like, that is the life I'm calling you to, to loving people. Now, side note, it's not that there's never any judgment, right? It says, say, in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed man for man to die once and after that judgment. So there is a judgment at some point after you die, right? So when you're living here, don't worry about judging people or making people know whether or not you think that they are good enough to get to heaven, or you're better than them, or they're worse. That, that's not why we're here. We just love people. We tell them about Jesus. We accept them for who they are, and we let God work out the rest of it. We're not in control of their hearts. We're not in control of what happens with them. But there is a judgment, and if you don't know today where you stand before God, then you should, you should consider, right? Jesus stands with his arms open saying, I'm here. I want to love you. I want to forgive you. I want to, like, give you all the good things, and I want to take all your bad things. I'm here to love you. And he just says, just put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. I'm here to love you. Um, and let him take all of that and be our substitute. And that's what Jesus does. And if you reject that and don't have anything to do with God, yeah, there is a judgment at the end where he gets to decide what happens. And none of us get to go into heaven. None of us get approved before God based on doing good works because we're just not that good enough. And our hearts are pretty wicked. And it just, we just keeps coming up. We're like, oh, yeah, I judged that person. Yeah, I actually treated that person badly. Yeah, actually, you know, like, when we really look at what's going on in our hearts, we know we're not that great. God's like, I know even more than you know. I'm not going to get to heaven that way. But that's why Jesus came, to love us to heaven. Um, not to judge us, and uh, that there is a judgment at the end, and we need to figure out where do we stand. Have we let God love us? Um, has He gotten into our hearts? This is important for us, for us to know. Um, there is a um, a couple thoughts here. It's like, why then do we judge people? Like, why do we stand in judgment? I have a couple thoughts that I just put out there. Uh, one is we like it; it's fun to do. Um, it makes us feel better about ourselves. You ever, especially when you feel guilty about something, you ever do something wrong, like maybe you lied or did something wrong, and then you find someone else who did something that seemed worse, and you're like, ha-ha, I'm not that bad. 
we love that. Um, I, there's a, a neighbor down the road who like put up this like barn like overnight. Like there was no barn, and then like two days later it was there. It must have been a kit or something because it went up real quick. It wasn't a huge barn, um, but I immediately felt threatened in a weird way because I have a lot of projects that I never finish. And I've been working on them for five years, and I still have projects that are not finished. And this thing went up, like, overnight. And I was like, dang it. I really feel bad about myself. And then they started painting it, and they got about halfway painted. And it's still, it's been weeks. Sunny weather, perfect weather, half painted. I drove by, I said, babe, that makes me feel happy. <laughs> My house is half painted, too. Right? So it makes us feel good. We like to judge people. We like to, you know, we want to assess how good we're doing based on other people. Um, I think the danger in Christianity is that we like to judge people because we believe in Jesus and we know that he's going to excuse us, forgive us at the end. So we kind of know, well, we know we're going to be okay. So we kind of stand in this like, so I kind of have a right to like assess if other people are going to be okay. Are they, you know, are they in God's good graces? And that is a problem. You have to remind us that, that in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Even just think about saying those over those, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then those people have become Christians, and he's maybe, it's not the same place, but saying these same things. Remember where you were like? You were just the broken in society. Um, but, 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, that even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. We have to remember that we didn't actually choose God. We didn't earn our way to God. Jesus did the work, and he pursued a relationship with us. And at some point in time, he got a hold of our hearts and changed us from the inside. That wasn't something that we did. So when we look at someone and we're like, hey, that guy's not changed on the inside, we aren't supposed to say, hey, that's because I'm better than that person. We're like, I was that person until Jesus changed me. So I'm still not allowed to judge him. I'm still saying, I got to love on that person. I got to love on that person like Jesus would because maybe that guy's story, he finds Jesus a decade from now. And maybe it's because of me. Maybe not. But that's not for me to judge. I'm here to love on that person. Um, so sometimes I think our faith creeps in in a kind of wicked way, and we, we use that to judge other people. And Jesus it says, no, do not judge, full stop. That's not your job. I'll judge at the end. Let me sort out, you know, the goats from the sheep. Okay, uh, verse 3. We only did the first two verses. Sorry, that was long. So he tells you that each of these are like a whole sermon. Okay, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly. Take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Okay, so what's going on here? Um, I mean, this seems super, super, when it's physical, it's super obvious. Like, you've got a log in your eye, and you walk over, you're like, oh, 
you're having trouble with your contact? Let me see if I can help you. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is humorous. When, when Jesus was preaching, they probably all laughed out loud. They were like, oh, that's ridiculous, right? Um, a log in your eye. And I don't know how often logs got in people's eyes. I know my neighbor, he works, I think he got like a, he was um, loading plants on a trailer, and the, one of the bamboo shoots that was sticking up, like he went to move it, and the bamboo shoot went right into his eye. And I immediately thought of the log in the eye. Um, he's okay, he went to the, the doctor and, and he's he says he can see fine but um when you have something in your eye think about what i'm not talking about a little thing think about like like, like a, a bamboo in your eye think about like the pain think about how clearly you're assessing the rest of things in your life how clearly you're seeing another person or what's going on you're not all you can think about is how painful that is and how and it's in your eye so you can't literally is impeding you from seeing other people physically that makes a lot of sense when it comes to spiritual, emotional stuff, we're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and what I think he's saying is that we cannot love people until we ourselves begin to heal, right? We've had damage done to us. We've had people, uh, especially from our, <laughs> from our childhood and growing up, we've had things happen to us. We've had people die. We've had traumas in our lives. People, who've been abu- people have been abused by other people. We have all this stuff emotionally in our lives, and then we walk in, and we're like, yeah, I'm going to tell you how to live your life. It's like, you, you, you got to deal with your own stuff first. I mean, it's, it's that, you know, the old adage, you're on an airplane, they say, hey, take the oxygen mask off, put it on yourself first, and then take care of your kids, right? Because you're of no good to anybody else if you can't breathe, or you're passed out, or you're dead on the ground because you didn't take the oxygen. You, you can't help other people. I think that works very much spiritually as well. We can't help other people. We can't be all that God wants us to be and all God that created to be if we don't get our spiritual and emotional lives healthy. Um, and, I, and I think that's what he's saying here. Luke 6, 39, he was uh, referencing the same story but Luke adds this, this uh, sentence in here that's not in Matthew. Luke 6.39 says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Duh. No. Right? If you can't see, you can't, let somebody, you can't help other people see. But I think this happens spiritually. Um, we are not healthy, and then we try to like, tell people how to live their lives, and it's just a mess. Um, so I want to be clear. When we believe in Jesus, he saves us, and he fixes us right? So there are times when you come to Jesus and emotionally all the stuff that you've held in and, and all the, the resentment and Jesus comes into your life and it's like, I gave it away. I've been healed emotionally. I am better. Um, and physically, Jesus, people meet Jesus and their, their ailments are being healed physically. And that does happen. Praise God when it does. But it doesn't always happen. And just because Jesus is in our life doesn't mean that we're completely, 100% holy and perfect. We all know that, but I have to say that out loud because sometimes we forget and we try to pretend like we're doing okay when we're not. Um, so when you get cancer, pray to Jesus, ask him to heal you, and then go see a doctor, right? And if you have emotional, mental cancer, pray, ask God to help you sort through it forgive people that need to be forgiven, but you may need to see a professional as well. 
right? Like to help you go through it. Ideally, you have brothers in the church that you sit down with and say, I don't know, when, when this happens, this is the thoughts that are going through my brain and they're just, you know, I'm unworthy, nobody loves me, I'm a failure. Like these are what I'm hearing in my brain. And your brother says, you know those are lies from the devil? You're like, oh, I, I, I don't know, I never thought of it that way, right? That would be ideal if it's a brother in the church, but oftentimes your brother in your church also has the lies in his brain, and he's like, I'm not healthy enough to help you help your stuff, and that's why, that's why I end up advocating for going to good therapy. Someone can help you sort these things out. But it's a spiritual thing. It's not just mental, emotional. It's like we've been damaged by the devil, um, I did once, um, I read, a, I listened to a podcast once about, like, the messages in our brain, and they said what you should do, and this was kind of a, I don't know if it was, it was like a, a pastor was talking about it, but he said, every time you have a negative thought in your brain, write it down. So for a week, I did this in my phone, every time I had a negative thought in my brain, and specifically, like, the, the real negative ones that are, like, really, really negative that you know that are, are not true, <laughs> if you think about it. So I was just a random, and I made a list, and what his, this guy's whole thing was like, he's like, you know, demons, and I'm, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, but demons live longer than humans, right? They've been around, right? So they were there when you were little, and now they're still, the same demons are around when you're old, and it says the demons have schemes. So to hear this out, it's possible that he, the demon or the devil or whatever got you to believe a lie when you were little, and then he's used it against you your whole life. He says, and now you just think it's truth. So you start writing down, what are these things? And I wrote down, I mean, I had these horrible things. I think I've shared it before, but it was like, it was like, you will never be good enough. Like, I hear that sometimes. Never be good enough. I don't know where it came from. Maybe I subliminally heard it from my parents, or somebody said it to me, or just in my back of my brain, you begin to believe that. Or you'll always be a failure. Like, that's when you say it out loud, you're like, that's not true. You're not always a failure. Like, I mean, you may fail once in a while, and that's okay. Like, you can rationalize it, but when it's in the back of your brain, you're not rational. It's just there, just poking you all the time. So write them down, and literally, there was like three or four that I had like 20 or 30 times in a week. I, heard, I remember hearing them and writing them down. I just would, I stopped making new ones. I just started putting tick marks because it wasn't like I had 100 bad messages. It was like there's like three and just over and over right? This is the log in your eye. You don't even know it's there. And God, Jesus is like, I want to heal you from that. I want you to see it's, uh, it requires some self-reflection. And what's interesting here, I grew up in the church, and I was always told, put other people's needs first, right? Jesus, others, you. You guys ever heard that with joy? Put Jesus. And truly, we get self-centered. We're self-focused. We shouldn't be selfish. But Jesus is saying here, hey, before you try to help your brother, get healthy. Maybe the most selfless thing you can do is to get yourself emotionally and spiritually healthy. Because then you can help other people. You're like, God's freed me from so much, from addiction, from whatever. Now I can help other people. Instead of saying like, well, I got saved and so God's fixed me. Even though I know there's still a bunch of shards of broken glass in there, I'm going to just like pretend like none of that exists and I'm going to like, and we don't actually get healthy. So we need to start working on getting emotionally healthy, uh, spiritually healthy. Um, it's so important. 
Um, because when we're able to talk with somebody and they're actually to be able to see us and love us for exactly who we are, not, not the like exterior that we want everyone to see, but like the inside, like here's the evil in my heart, please see it, right? I want you to see me for who I am and still love me. Then when we see people, we want to judge for who they are. We can still love them because we know what it's like. And that's how Jesus operates. He says, I see you. I see all the junk in your lives, and I still love you. And we're going to work together to f- get this stuff healed and forgiven. Ultimately, when we, when we go to, into glory, he, he finishes the, the work. But we, ha- we can get some of that work done now. And then we can love other people deeply, have empathy for people who are broken, broken beyond our even understanding. We can just say, like, I know what it's like to be broken. I'm willing to walk with you, brother, you know? And even if you just make a shipwreck of your life, I can still love you and be kind to you and say, I'm not going to judge you. I'll let Jesus do that at the end. Who knows how that story ends? He's used broken things before. Um, And then at the end of this passage, as we move on here, it says, don't throw your pearls before swine. You're like, well, isn't that judging? All of a sudden we go, okay, we were not judging, we're loving everybody, but, you know, if, if there are pigs out there, just leave those pigs alone, right? Like that, it seems at first a little contradictory. And I think that this is um, kind of a word to the wise, is like, we are not the hero of other people's stories. It's not our job to save them. It's not our job to like, you know, jump in their lives and, and force feed them the gospel. Um, it's kind of like fishing. Uh, when I was a kid in Colombia, we would go fishing um, for piranhas, but oftentimes um, when we were kids, we would fish. We had, we'd have, we had um, boa constrictors as like pets, and so we'd feed them like fish and stuff. They like fish. Um, so what we would do is we'd want to catch. There's a bunch of exotic fish in the lake, and there was also stingrays in the lake. I don't know if I told you guys about stingrays. So it was stingrays in the lake, little lake stingrays, not ocean stingrays. Weird, smaller. Um, so when we'd go swimming... We had a swimming area. We had these large uh, bamboo poles, and we would, you know, we'd walk and, and do this and stir up the water for about five minutes before we go swimming. And it would just make sure you didn't step on any stingrays because they would be, like, right on the bottom, and you'd step on them, and whap, they'd get you. So we'd do that. But then when you were going fishing, we'd do net fishing. Net fishing's opposite. If you do that, you have no fish. So we would, I mean, this is, like, a third, fourth grade. We've got this, like, 10-foot long net, and we'd like tiptoe. Like we're tiptoeing because we want to be quiet. We also really don't want to step on a, a thing. Um, and then we throw breadcrumbs out, really quiet, whatever. And they would start biting. And if, if they were biting, we'd like, cool. We'd, you know, you stick the bottom layer right on the ground, and we would run with all we have up the shore, right? And then we'd catch fish. We'd catch all sorts of crazy, cool fish. Some people had them in aquariums. A lot of times, like I said, we fed them. Sometimes we just, like, would throw them back after we, like, looked. it just was fun to do. Little Snoopy fish, little sucker fish, we'd just get them right out of the lake. Um, anyway, so one of those times I was doing it, and I stepped on a stingray. Whole different story. Um, they have this zapper that they, you can zap it, and it'll zap the poison out. Otherwise, you feel the pain creeping up your leg as it, like, enters. Anyway, crazy. The point is, when you fish, you fish with bait. If they're biting, you know, that's how... That's how I see us, like, evangelizing people. 
you drop a little breadcrumbs out there and say, hey, I, you know, I don't know, I, my life sure has been different since I've started following Jesus. That's a put bait out there. Nobody bites, you don't come back and say, you're going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. That's, 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 throwing, that's throwing your pearls before swine. Don't throw the pearls, just, just some breadcrumbs. If God's working in somebody's life, I had this happen to me once. I was at work. I'd mentioned a handful of times, very briefly, like I went to church on Sundays. That's about it. And one day, my coworker turned to me and out of the blue and said, you believe in God, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, you go to church, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, I want to know all about this. I was like, what do you mean? Because I want to know, like, what do you believe? And I was like, Ugh. and like, I was able to share the gospel and bring the guy to church. It was amazing. But it wasn't on me. I just put some breadcrumbs out there. And when I saw God working in somebody's life, I was able to minister to them. So I think what he's saying here is like, we love people. We love people. We put out breadcrumbs. We don't need to be mean. Or um, if we see somebody who's really aggressive towards Jesus, we don't have to pick a fight with them. That's not our job. We see God working in someone's life. We're like, hey, I, I know a few things about that if you're interested. That's all we have to do. And let God do the work in other people's lives. Okay. Shoot, man, we're running out of time. Um, second one here I, I have is in the Upside Down king, Kingdom, the king is good and loving. It says here in 7 through 11, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone asks, receives, and whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, the door will be open. Or which of you, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? So the, the big idea here um, is that he's saying here that God is good. And the very, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, Satan's first lie was, is God really that good? I mean, does he really care about you? Right? And once we start questioning whether God is good, then we're like, well, can we really depend on him for anything, right? And our whole faith just kind of crumbles from there. He's like, listen, you guys know how to be a good parent. You know, your kid asks you for food, you give them food. You don't give them rocks. You might not give them candy in the middle of the night, which when they ask. You might say, well, how about you eat something that's good for you, healthy for you, right? We're good. That's what good parents do. He's like, if I made you and I'm like your father in heaven, I mean, I'm going to take good care of you. You can trust me. So there's three things um, the king invites us to do. He says, come. You know, like kings don't usually, you don't usually have access to king. Like a king, you don't just like go, hey, king, I want to hang out. I have some questions for you. If you guys ever watched, uh, what's that, um, that cartoon, The Emperor's New Groove? You know, and he goes up, and he's like, hey, I got a request. And the king's like, yeah, no thanks. And he kicks the guy right out. I mean, he's like out of, yeah. He gets kicked right out of the, uh, the, whole, the whole palace. But um, in old, olden days, if you went and had an audience before the king, and the king didn't want to see you, it was like off with your head. Like, there was like, you didn't just got to go up and chat with the king. So in Jesus' kingdom, he's like, come, ask there's not a line. You just come on in anytime you have questions. Anytime you want to ask for something, you have access to me. Think about like who has access like that to famous people? Like probably only their kids, you know? If you called me at after midnight, probably not going to answer on my phone. 
But when my kid has a bad dream, she can come into my bed. She can wake me up. Like, that's the kind of access that we have to God, the access in the middle of the night when nobody else is around. God's like, come ask, I'm here. I'm listening, I'm a good parent, and I love you. Um, so we've got to remember, God wants us to ask, and he really is for the sake of relationship because he already knows what we need. So it's not like, oh, oh, let me make a list. You need what? You need some bread? Okay, cool. What, what else do you, oh, you want more money? Yeah, sure. I, good to know. I thought you were doing okay. He, he knows what you need before you ask. It's more of a, a relationship. He wants to hear from your heart. Where are you struggling? Where's, and realistically, we say to God, if you could just give me some more money, I'd be happy. That's what I want, God. And he's like, but aren't, isn't it really what you want is to like not be so stressed out? Like if, you, if I give you more money, but you're more stressed out, does that solve your problem? You're like, no, no, no. So he's like, well, what is the deeper problem you're trying to solve here? You want to feel satisfied? You want to feel that God loves you? Like these are the deeper needs. We kind of come to God with the solutions. Like here's what I need, God, 10 more dollars, thousand more dollars in my bank account. It's all I need right now. It's all I want to ask. God's just like, come to what you really want. You want your souls to be satisfied, right? So we, he says, come, ask, let's have a conversation, and I'm going to give you what you need. Maybe not always what you want, but I want to have that conversation with you. So he says, come and ask. Then he says, seek. And seek to me is deeper than asking. Asking is like, hey, this is what I, this is what I want. Seeking is like, God, I want to know you more. I want to be with you. If you're good and being with you, I'm going to be able to experience being in the presence of a good God. And seeking means like, I'm going to carve out time. I've talked to you guys oftentimes about prayer, about setting time aside, about pursuing your relationship with God, where it's not just rubbing the magic lamp saying, God, here's my 10 requests. Amen. It's like, God, I, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I'm going to read your word and I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to think about it so much that it like it's in it's in my mind all the time. I've made, I know all my passwords and stuff at work are all Bible verses. And I do the whole Bible verse and the reference. No one's ever going to crack it, right? And then at my work, every three months we have to change it. So I have to memorize a new verse. And the first couple of times it gets really tricky. I'm like, what does it say? Was it the Lord or was it God? You know what I mean? Like, you have to make sure you get it right. But, um, but where I want it to be. I want to seek God. I want God to be close all the time. And he says, I'm there with you. You're the one who's not looking at me, so we need to be seekers of God. Um, and then knock. Knock could have a double meaning, because when I first thought about this, I thought about this as, as like kind of discerning what does God want me to do. We always talk about doors in Christianity. I don't know where it really came from, but we're like, oh, I knock on this door. God, open the door. Is this the opportunity you want me to walk through, right? And I do believe that God asks us to come to him, help, have him help us discern where he wants us to go. I agree. But I was thinking about deeper. This could also be the idea of like dad's asleep in bed and he says, come knock on my door and come, come cuddle up with me and I'm going to take care of you. Like knock, like come on, you have access to my presence. You know, in the New Testament, when, when Jesus died, the curtain got ripped between the holy and holies and it said he wants to make a kingdom of priests people humans not just priests can be in the presence of god now he's like knock you get to be in here you get to be in god's presence um so this whole thing is fueled by this love for god um 
And then the last, I'm going to close here with this last verse here, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish for others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And this is known as the golden rule. And as soon as you say golden rule, like, oh yeah, I know what that is. And I think it's easy to, to move past it too quickly, okay? So what he's doing here is he's abbreviating the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 22, 35 through 34, it says, you know, uh, a lawyer came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And second is like, you shall love your neighbor yourself. And then verse 40 is kind of the key. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's like, all of this sums up in like you love God and you love people. And all of the laws revolve around doing that well. Then here he says, so what do you want people to do to you, do to them? That's the law and the prophets. He's like summarizing, he's like Cliff Notes version of even his shortened version. He's like, listen, I know this is really hard for you to figure out. What does it mean to love people? He's like, like if you don't want them to do that to you, then don't do it to them. Like, I'm just, I'm going to break it down real simple. And it's interesting because in that time there was a law, uh, or not a law, but like a saying, and it was this, um, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, right? So it's the negative of, of it. Right? And we kind of have this in our society, like the do no harm, or like do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Like that's kind of an American r- unwritten rule, if we're talking about unwritten rules, right? Like you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Generally, we feel like we shouldn't have a law about something if I'm not hurting anybody else. I mean, this is like the American thought. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying love people, do to people what you'd want people to do to you. Love people the way you'd want them to love you. It's an action, not a don't do, it's a do. Um, And you think about it, the Bible says, love your spouse, love your children, love your neighbor, love your enemy, love the foreigner, love the orphan, love the widow, love the poor. Who do we not supposed to love? That's all we have is love. That's all God wants us to do. Um, is love on people. <laughs> um, in James 4, 17, it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. If you know you're supposed to love somebody and you just don't do it. He's like, that's what I'm talking about. This is challenging. It's challenging because it, it's not an easy, like, I need three points of how to, like, do better Christian. He's like, you got to love people. And loving people is messy and hard. And it can hurt you. And it's, it's not always as satisfying as it sounds, um, but this is the way, this is the way of Jesus. Um, and oftentimes, we can't truly love people until we've dealt with the issues in our own life, the places we have felt unloved and unlovable. We need to let Jesus into those parts of our heart, and that might be talking with pastors, it might be talking with friends, it might be going to counselors, it might just be listening deeper to Jesus as you read the scriptures and letting it apply to your hearts, but we need to work on ourselves. Okay, take, I'm going to take a step back from that statement. We need to let Jesus work in our hearts and our lives, and so many times we put up walls, and we don't even realize why we're so defensive, and it's because we've had things happen to us, and God wants to free us from that, and we need to let him, let him in, let him work on us so that we can love other people uh, and love other people well. All right, um, I'm going to wrap up with um, just reminding you. I believe that 
Only in the receiving and basking in the love of Jesus can we begin to love people around us. And that's a practice that I practice daily, sometimes not as good as others, but I just, I literally sit before the Lord and just remind myself, I'm like, you love me and you accept me. Because in my heart, I think I'm not lovable. That's one of the lies I hear. Nobody loves you. So I say, that's not true, Satan. Jesus loves me. And then I say, Jesus accepts me. And I think about when, when uh, Jesus came out of the water after being baptized, and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I say, okay, I believe in Jesus. That applies to me now, right? So I am God's beloved son, and God is pleased with me. And that's like a balm to my soul that allows me to be vulnerable and to love people. Not perfectly, but as God begins to heal me, ideally I can love other people well. Let's pray.